how are you now? Are you, are you alive? Is your heart rate at an acceptable level? Scott Natla got an alert from his Apple Watch asking if he was having an event because we had a heck of an event for the Montreal Canadiens in their season opener. Hello and welcome to episode one of the Bottom Six Minutes podcast presented by Habs Eyes and the Prize. I am Matt Drake and I'm excited to be back with some regular season hockey and I'm going to stick with the strategy that I was using in the preseason where I'm not going to give the score right out of the gate like I was doing in previous years. I'm going to tell you at the end. Now, if anybody doesn't like this, please feel free to DM me on Twitter and let me know your thoughts. Uh, I'm always willing to restructure the podcast based on how people who are listening to it feel about it. But let's get right into the recap because there were a lot of goals to talk about in this game. It's going to take me a while just to get through that portion. Now, it's back and forth early on in the first period of this game. Uh, Matthews, Austin Matthews, that is, had an early chance. He overskated it a little bit. And I was thinking, all right, this this might be trouble because as soon as he got that chance and he overskated, I'm like, if he gets that right, we are fucked. <laughs> and not so much, though. It actually, it was a pretty back-and-forth period. Um, the Habs actually looking like the better team for the most part of it. few minutes into the period, TJ Brody gets the puck at the blue line, but he trips over the blue line. And Jake Evans sees an opportunity and pounces on it. Takes the puck end-to-end right past the sprawling TJ Brody. Cuts in with pressure on him and goes forehand. Puts it in and makes it one nothing for the Montreal Canadiens. They score the first goal of this game, which is not something that most betting services would have given you very good odds on happening. Now, that wakes the Leafs up a little bit. They're starting to sustain some pressure for the next couple of minutes, but then Callie Yarncroke takes a holding penalty just before the five-minute mark, and the Habs go to the power play. It has been a bit of a problem for them in the preseason, and it didn't look great in that first opportunity that they had, but it was promising. Okay, it was promising. They had some good puck movement, and I was like, all right, this might be something that we could see them get a little damage done later on in the game, put a pin in that, because it did eventually come back. Now, we had after that, Ryan Reeves landed a hit from behind on Caden Gooley. Somehow, um, that doesn't get called, but Arbor Jacki goes over and gets into a fight with him, and of course, we had our first opportunity to see the Sheriff go up against Ryan Reeves, and uh, the Sheriff held his own. The Sheriff landed more punches and then pushed him through the net uh but of course the refs with an absolute fucking joke of a call on this thing they give jack eye the instigator and uh, they also give him a 10 minute misconduct and reeves only gets the five he doesn't get called for the hit from behind on caden gooley so that was absolute bullshit and another sign of things to come in this game at any rate we get to the end of the first period and it is still one nothing for the Habs. Shots are 11-10 to 10 in favor of the Montreal Canadiens. However, we get into the second period and uh, it was a different story. The Leafs getting a lot more rubber on net. And less than two minutes into the period though, Uri Slavkovsky makes a play below his own goal line. Okay, knocks a puck loose. Kirby Doc ends up getting it and he's streaking through the neutral zone. He's got a new hook on the left and Slavkovsky comes out of nowhere. Right, He was below the goal line when he made that play, and he was well behind the play, but he just motored his ass and got back into position. Doc feeds Slavkovsky. Slavkovsky makes a nice move and then feeds Newhook on the other side. He puts it in, and it's 2 nothing for the Montreal Canadiens. A little later, power play for the Haz. Like I said, it was going to rear back up. 
Cole Caulfield, Sean Monahan makes a beautiful pass out to Cole Caulfield. He goes upstairs and it's three nothing, but wait, there's a fucking challenge. There was an offside about, I don't know, 30, 40 seconds before that. Say what you will about the offside challenge, like it or not. It was in fact offside. It was a good call at the end of the day based on the current rule. And that goal gets taken back. And that was a huge change in momentum in this game uh, because the Leafs would mount a comeback right off that. Not long after the um, offside goal was reviewed, Noah Gregor throws a seemingly harmless shot. He's basically at the outside hash marks on the left side, and it goes off the far post and in. Jake Allen has to stop that one. It was a harmless play uh, right after gaining the zone. Really, that just can't go in. But it does, and it's 2-1. to one. The Leafs are back in this thing. Later on, Max Domi folds like a fucking cheap suit when he gets touched on the shins by Newhook. Absolute dive. The refs reward him for it. And of course, on the power play, the puck gets deflected to Austin Matthews on the right side. He goes upstairs with it. He's an extremely accomplished shooter. And it's 2-2. Later on, we get a weak call on Jake Evans. And of course, William Nylander, this time with a clapper from the left side. It gets through, and it's 3-2. Now, the call on Evans didn't necessarily bother me in and of itself, because it was a penalty. But what did bother me is right before that, Ryan Reeves was chasing down Jordan Harris, couldn't catch up to him, and just hacked him on the legs about five times in front of the ref. And they didn't call that. So... That should kind of tell you how this game was going from an officiating standpoint. But nonetheless, it's 3-2 to two at the end of two periods. And the Habs are in a game, very in a game, against a team that is ostensibly far better than them. We go into the third period. The Leafs have almost doubled up the Habs in the shot total at this point. No small thanks to the parade of power plays that they've been getting from the officials. But the Habs get a power play after a scrum. Okay, there's a scrum in front of the net, and they end up giving the extra two to the Leafs, and the Habs power play goes back to work. Cole Caulfield with a fake near the dot, and then he walks in, high slot, and shoots it. This time it goes off the leaf and gets into the net. This one's not coming back. There's no offside review to save them. It's 3-3. We go back to 5-on-5, and the Habs are back, baby. They are absolutely cooking. Kirby Dock with some excellent work down low, comes up the wall and feeds Arbor Jacki at the point. The Sheriff puts it on net and Alex Newhook tips it in for his second of the game. It's 4-3 to three for the Montreal Canadiens. Now we're past the halfway mark of the third period. Okay, Turnover by the Leafs in their own zone. Jesse Elinen gets in alone, dangles, and goes backhand through Ilya Samsonov. Makes it 5-3 to three for the Montreal Canadiens. Are they actually going to win this game? Wait a second, though. The Leafs not done. They pull Samsonov with over four minutes to play, and it works quickly. Matthews gets the puck on the right-hand side and just slaps it low along the ice. It goes off Jake Allen skating in. Another goal that Jake Allen just absolutely cannot be allowing. But it goes in, and it's 5-4. to four. And then they pull Samsonov again with just over three minutes to play. And with just over a minute left, scramble in front. It's Matthews again. He has Allen down, and he puts it in. Gets his hat trick. It's 5-5. Nothing doing from there. We're going to 3-on-3 overtime. And the Habs looked a little bit rattled in that 3-on-3. They were trying to play cute with their line changes to get an advantageous matchup. And it worked at first because they were able to get Caulfield and uh, Suzuki out there against the tired Austin Matthews. But they couldn't score. And then when they couldn't score, the Habs seemed to... It's like that was their that was their whole strategy. And when that didn't work, they, they looked in trouble. And Jake Allen had to make a couple of really nice saves for them. And then, of course, Kirby Dock gets on the ice, draws a penalty by driving the net and forcing uh, Matthew Nyes to trip him. And 
the Habs get a power play with a little over a minute to go in the overtime frame and they get very few chances on it of course we go to a shootout what happens there well I can tell you Nylander goes first he waits a little bit too long Allen forces him to hit the post with it Nick Suzuki goes next he tries to do the Datsuk but he fumbles the puck and it goes into the corner without even a shot on goal Austin Matthews goes next he shoots but Jake Allen gets the blocker on it Cole Caulfield goes next he hits the post Mitch Marner up as the third shooter for the Leafs he goes glove side top cheese he scores now Kirby Doc, the last shooter for Montreal he needs to score but he's stopped by Samsonov your final score is six to five for the Toronto Maple Leafs in a shootout what a fucking game though before I even get to silver linings and you know good performances and stuff like that I I just want to mention like if they can play every single game this season just like that I'm happy if they lose all 82 of them man I'm happy if they get a top pick but they give us exciting fun hockey like that that was an excellent game if anybody's sitting at home you know lamenting the officiating yes I'm going to talk about that a little bit it was horseshit Um, If anybody's sitting at home lamenting Jake Allen's goaltending, yeah, I'm going to touch on that too. Uh, There are definitely negatives that you could pick out, but there were way more positives in that game than there were negatives. So I'm going to try to focus mostly on the positives because this is the kind of game that we want to see, right? We want to see that this team can hang with some of these contenders a little bit, not so much that they, you know, just make themselves have a bad draft pick. We want them to have a good pick this year if they're not making the playoffs we want to have a good pick and but but at the same time we also want to have some fun right nobody wants to watch this team lose you know three nothing four nothing four one all season long if they're gonna lose let's lose spectacularly just like that that was a wonderful game that was extremely fun I think for everybody involved and I I would just like to say more of that please more of that of course you don't want to see two different blown leads in the same game um so there is that aspect of it and um but but i want to focus on the positives right so if we're focusing on the positives let's get right to your silver lining of the night which for me i think was clearly your Slavkovsky. um he was fantastic in that game obviously had a beautiful assist on the first uh new hook goal but besides that he looked like a different player than we saw last year. He looked like the player that we saw in the final preseason game where he's looking to set things up. He's making very intelligent plays. He's getting back on defense. Like I said, against uh, on the first new hook goal, he's down below his goal line making a play and then absolutely motors himself to get back into position to make something happen offensively. Uh, and he was making really crisp, brilliant passes throughout the course of the game. Uh, there was a few occasions where he could have set up a goal if 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 the timing was just a little bit better or if the pass was just an inch to the left or inch to the right. I mean, he was making some really good plays in that game. And this is incredibly important for the Montreal Canadiens to see him take a step forward this season. Um, <clears throat> I don't want to sit here and you know, make a prediction on how many points he's going to get to or anything like that. But if he plays like this, I could see 50 plus no problem, which would be a huge jump from his pace that he was on last year. And he he's also in that game, 
playing like a guy who's six foot four. Like he was going in the off when he's in the offensive zone, he's forechecking, he's getting into the dirty areas, and he's having no problem doing so. And he's kind of imposing himself a little bit physically. Again, something that we were really not seeing last year. This looks like a different player. He looks like his confidence is back. And your second silver lining of the night is going to be, it's, it's a really good transition into that, talking about your Slavkovsky, is just that line in general with him, Kirby Dock, and Alex Newhook. Absolutely, without a doubt, the best line for the Montreal Canadiens in that game. By a sight, they were better than the Cole Caulfield, Nick Suzuki, and uh, Josh Anderson line, for sure. Obviously, that top line has a little bit more high-end skill on it, than the second line, but that second line, man, it's going to be a nightmare for other teams to deal with because they're so heavy in the offensive zone on the forecheck. Newhook, he's intelligent. He's getting to the right areas. You saw him. He gets there for the tip. He gets there for the Slavkovsky pass, so he's playing a smart game, uh, a very reserved game, really liked the way that he played. And Kirby Dock is a force to be reckoned with, man, especially in the offensive zone. He can take the puck anywhere he wants, and he uses that long reach of his to just keep you at bay to the point where you've got two options really either take a penalty or let him keep skating around and looking for what he wants and sooner or later he's going to find what he wants we saw it on the second new hook goal right kirby doc gets the puck he's below the offensive goal line and he just walks up the wall he's using his reach protecting the puck really well dumps it off to arbor jackai arbor jackai puts the shot on and there's alex Newhook with the tip this is the kind of thing that Kirby Doc can do, and that line is just so well crafted. I thought during the preseason, I know I know anybody who listens to this podcast heard me talk about it. Uh, Rafael Harvey Pinar was kind of the perfect third for that line, but Newhook works just as well. So the the good news there is that you've got flexibility, man. If you want to move Newhook around, you could try RHP on that line, and it'll probably continue to work. Um, and you can see, you can test it out and see if Newhook works better, uh, maybe on the top line instead of Josh Anderson, for example. Uh, but you 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 have a dynamic duo there with Doc and Slavkowski. This is something that I really want to see them explore more. I want to see them try, especially when they get last change, for instance, and they're playing at the Bell Center, see if they can get them out against the right matchups and see just how good they can be. Um, It's a legitimate, legitimately good second line. You could argue that it's the top line at this point based on overall performance, but we're still very early in the season. Uh, so there's two really good silver linings for you, right? Number one, just the overall performance of Uri Slavkowski as an individual. And number two, how good that line looks. Overall, fantastic performance from them. I do want to single out uh, Jesse Elinen as well. He was very effective in that game. From the very first shift that he had, he looked quick. Uh, he looked like he had good hands out there. And, of course, when he gets the opportunity, you know, a quick strike chance. When, when you're playing on the fourth line, you have to be able to capitalize on opportunities because you're not going to get very many. The volume isn't going to be there for you, right? You're not getting 20, 25 minutes a night. It's just not happening on the fourth line, right? So when, when he got a chance, of course, he goes in, goes backhand and scores on it. Um he could really make himself invaluable to this Canadiens team uh, and really make a name for himself in the organization and keep himself in the NHL if he keeps playing exactly like that. That was, uh, you know, pretty close to, you know, a silver lining of the night for me was seeing a player like that on the fourth line, a young player coming up and playing that well. 
you know, we're, we're not necessarily looking for veterans to make their mark here, right? This is still a rebuild year. We're, we're starting to get towards the point where playoffs are going to be in the conversation. We want to see some of these young players take a step forward, and I think we're seeing that from him right now. Uh, so that was a really good sign as well. Of course, uh, you got to talk about Nick Suzuki, Cole Caulfield. They look good. Um, I, I like them. Um, <laughs> of course. That sounds kind of like a cop out. Like I'm not trying to get into too much detail. Let's okay. Let's let's be honest. All right, Josh Anderson, he doesn't really work on that line. He works in sprints. He works in sprints, but he does not work consistently on that line. I think they need to stop that. It was fine. All right, I'm not trying to make this a big negative from the game, but it's it was fine. The power horse, he doesn't work on there, right? His nickname is the Power Horse. We might as well try to make a horse analogy out of this, right? I used to work when I was younger, when I was in university. I used to go out to BC and I used to work at equestrian shows. Uh, it was how I made my money in university. Uh, for a time. That's how I financed beer on the weekends. And one of the things that you notice is, and, and that you learn pretty quickly is the types of horses that, that people ride at these equestrian events, especially the, the higher level ones, right? And the, the people who ride equestrian, because there's a lot of turning and jumping, uh, they, they don't ride the same horses that you would ride for, say, a race around a racetrack, right? Around a racetrack, what are you looking for? You're looking typically for like a quarter horse, an American quarter horse, uh, a thoroughbred, right? The people who ride equestrian, a lot of them ride like Westphalians, which is like a German horse. They're, they're a little bit more agile. They're a little bit quicker. Uh, they're uh, a little bit, they, they got more finesse, right? Josh Anderson is a fucking quarter horse. He's he's fucking sea biscuit, all right. He's supposed to be running around a track uh, at at hundred percent speed the entire time. And Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield, you got two Westphalians there. What are you doing? You know, trying to staple these guys together. It doesn't work, right? You wouldn't take you know a thoroughbred quarter horse that's you know running the Kentucky Derby and winning it, and you wouldn't say, all right, you know what we're gonna do is we're gonna turn this guy into a equestrian show jumper, right? And conversely, you wouldn't take the two Westphalians and say, all right, we're going to cram them into the fucking gate at the Kentucky Derby and see if they can beat this thoroughbred because they can't. And it doesn't work. It, it needs to change. I would like to see them, as I mentioned earlier, maybe try, uh, you know, a, a quick audition for New Hook on that line. Uh, I, I Again, I'll... I'll I'll boost my boy that's currently playing very well down for Laval, Joshua Roy. If at any point he comes up, I would like to see him there. Uh, I would even like to see Rafael Harvey Pinal there at some point. Uh, I just don't think that Josh Anderson works very well. However, I'm trying to stay positive in this segment of the podcast. Um, I, I do think overall that line was pretty good. They, they, they showed danger at the very least. They showed that they're capable of offense when the opportunity arises. It's just... It's not consistent enough for me, and there's not enough defensive acumen on that line. You know, I, I feel like the third to Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield has to be somebody who can contribute more defensively. That's why Kirby Doc worked there so well, because he's such a physical presence. Um, so that's something they need to continue working out, but it wasn't bad. All right. It wasn't uh, it, it wasn't horrible to the point where I would sit here and just lament the fact that they even put it together in the first place. So um, not bad, but certainly not quite near the realm of, of silver lining for that game. Um, another silver lining I'll give you was and I'm, I'm already gonna, I'm going to run over 20 minutes very easily in this podcast. So uh, buckle up, folks. Um, 
I'll, I'll give you the, the special teams. Uh, the, the penalty kill was actually pretty good in that game. I know they gave up a couple, but what are you going to do? It happens. Um, the power play was not bad. The power play had good puck movement. Um, they were showing some danger. The only thing that bothers me still about the power play is that they constantly want to do that stupid fucking drop pass in the neutral zone. So whenever they don't win the offensive zone draw to start a power play, that's where things get a little bit hairy. When they are when they are set up in the offensive zone, they actually don't look bad at all. It's just gaining the zone that's a problem for them. So if the other team dumps it out, they're kind of fucked because every time they try these stupid drop passes, they end up wasting a bunch of time. They have forwards standing flat-footed at the blue line while they're trying to gain the zone. It doesn't work. If I can see this shit from my armchair in my office watching on TV, I got to think that professional coaches can see it too. You guys got to adjust it. You got to make some changes on that front because what I'm seeing in the offensive zone looks great. It, it looks it looks good. Great might be a little bit overboard there, but it, it looks good enough to put pucks in the net at the NHL level. Just figure out a better way to gain the zone when the puck gets dumped out. Now we covered off the good. Um, I got to talk about the bad. And unfortunately, and as is very on brand for me, I got to talk about the officiating just real quick. I don't want to turn this into a rant about the refs, and I won't. But I do want to mention just... If, if you haven't seen the game, go back and look and wait until you see Jake Evans's penalty, right? It was a hold for sure. It's a penalty, right? But rewind the game, you know, five minutes before that, Ryan Reeves was chasing down Jordan Harris and whacked him on the legs like five times and they didn't call anything. So, you know, both of those things are penalties. As a matter of fact, Ryan Reeves gives you five tries to actually call the fucking penalty and you don't but then you call Jake Evans for that weak shit and then later on in the game John Tavares was holding the stick of Jake Evans and then right after that he tripped uh, I think it was Harvey Pinar coming out of the zone two of them and they, they would have been relatively weak calls but not any weaker than the one that they called on Jake Evans and they didn't call those so the, the refs are in preseason mode and it's it's the same shit every single year in the NHL man the refs have a union and it protects all of the shittiest ones and it's the same thing like when my mother used to be a nurse she used to tell me about this one lady that would never show up for work on time and it would force other people to have to stay late um, and uh, sometimes she wouldn't show up or sometimes she would leave early and it would force other people to stay late or force them to come in early and when people complained about it and they tried to fire her it turns out she was uh, related to somebody high up in the union and so she never lost her job and that's what we're seeing with NHL officials is that they're all unionized they all protect each other and they all suck at their fucking jobs and then we got to watch them go out there and do this uh, I don't think that they're against the Habs per se uh, but I do think that they are uh, terrible at their jobs now that said I got my ref, my short ref rant out of the way. Uh, the last thing that I want to leave you guys with is a positive note, and I want to talk about Arbor Jacki. Um, if you don't think Arbor Jacki is an important player for the Montreal Canadiens, think again. All right, not only did he get an apple in that game, taking that shot from the point and getting deflected by Alex Newhook, um, he immediately went after Ryan Reeves when he landed a a, a dirty hit on Caden Gooley. Now, it was a dirty hit, not the dirtiest I've ever seen or even close to the dirtiest I've ever seen. Uh, and Caden Gooley was luckily fine, skated away like nothing happened. But that didn't matter for a second to the sheriff. He went right over there and challenged one of the scariest dudes in the NHL. 
I myself am a pretty big dude. I know people who listen to the podcast. You've never seen me before. We've never met in person. I'm six foot. I'm 230. I don't want to fight Ryan Reeves. I would probably try to avoid that fight at all costs. Arbor Jackai, he's definitely bigger than me, and he doesn't give a shit. He went right over there, challenged him, held his own, and then pushed him through the net. They're going to probably fight again this year, and uh, there's going to be a lot of fights going on in the Atlantic Conference or in the Atlantic Division. Um, there's there's a lot of tough guys in that division. If you don't think the Arbor Jack guy is going to be important to this team, think again. That willingness, that ability to, to to go to that place, it's it's big. Now you could have a quick discussion about you know the officiating there and how they decided to give him the instigator when really the instigator was Reeves with his hit, but. At the end of the day, I think we need to look at that more from the standpoint of Arbor Jackeye was willing to go with one of the scariest dudes in the NHL, didn't hesitate for a second, and he won the fight. Yeah, it was a bit of a shoving match more so than a fight. There wasn't a whole lot of punches thrown. It could look a little bit different if they met in open ice, but that's a win. That's a win, and it's also a guy who happens to be capable of chipping in offensively. He's not a goon. What the fuck did Ryan Reeves do in that game to actually help his team offensively? I'll wait. Nothing? That's right. Nothing. He did nothing to help his team offensively. And Arbor Jackeye actually did. So the Habs have in Jackeye a player who's actually capable of hockey. But when push comes to shove, he's punching you in the mouth. I love that. I love that. I'm always going to love watching him play as long as he's bringing that element to the Montreal Canadiens. We should be celebrating that kid. Man, going from undrafted to the position that he's in, he deserves it. And uh, and that was a really good showing from him. Uh, I'm proud of him. I'm, I don't even know him, and I'm proud of him. Uh, that, that was good stuff. Good stuff all around, really. That was about as good as we could have asked for for a season opener. Um, they get a point. If you care about that kind of thing, you know, their their record is uh, 0-0-1 at this point. They haven't actually lost in regulation yet, so that's good news. Um, I think I'm going to cut it off there because I'm already running over 25 minutes. So, c'est une soirée inconnue pour les employés du système. On n'a jamais vu quelque chose comme ça dans notre vie. Um, we are on Spotify, Google Play, Apple, Megaphone. I'm on Twitter at DrakeMT. Drop me a follow. I appreciate it very much. Thank you, as always, for listening. And, of course, à la prochaine.